Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's been played by at least six different people. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I wish that it were like a Doctor Who sort of thing, but it's mostly just an other Darren sort of thing. We just keep <laughs> right, yeah, they just keep swapping people out. Yeah, yeah. Legitimately, there's a really good chance that I'll die before you. Um, yeah, and. In that scenario, I really do want you to swap me out with somebody else and then not ever <laughs> talk about it. Call them. Call them Pat. It'll be fine. Yeah, like just never acknowledge that it ever happened. Like people will be like, Did Pat's voice change? Like a lot? And be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll get I'll get our friend Amanda Morant to do oh. that British accent that she did oh, in the amazing. Uh, the one Wes Anderson episode oh, that she was on. Amazing. But as you, and that'll be... Oh, that'll that's be even... That's so good. That's so good. I mean, all of her accents are pretty amazing. I would take yes. any of them, frankly. <laughs> like, I'd be happy with just anything anything, anything she does. Uh, if, if you can get her as a replacement... I'll step aside now. Honestly speaking. <laughs> no. Like, no, I'm Pat, up for no. it. I mean, because that'll be better than what I'm doing here. If we're being honest. <sighs> I noticed that you didn't say no, so I didn't me, because now I'm thinking about how how much better how that would be. Talked, how much much well, we've talked previously about there are certain there are certain horror leaning titles that that you may not want to watch. Oh God, it'd be uh, so good if and, yeah. And if whoever I have as the replacement, I just have them pretend to be who anyway. Oh, that'd be so good. It'd be so so you're good. All, you're all playing the same character, so I just sit them down before we start. <laughs> but this time you're singing voice, for some fine. reason. <laughs> I just say. Just say weird a lot. It'll be great. I think no I say weird less than I used to, to be fair. I know you did. We really internalized that. Yeah, that would really got hit home hard. We just say other shit <laughs> yeah. instead now. It's like, well, I don't. I can't say weird anymore, so I'll just say fuck a lot. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. What if I Patreon. don't? Patreon.com slash. Mm. I, you don't have to. I will. Uh, I'm not listening. I'm going to do that, that kid thing. I'm going to put my hands over my ears and just nah, 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 Listen, nah, nah. I am so glad that I control the editing and just mute your track now. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not a monster. I know you are. Wait. Huh? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I said it. I, I, that hurts. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, keep us going. Uh, yeah, if you want to support a, a monster month, named Adam. I am a monster for calling you a monster. That's, <laughs> that's how all of this yeah, it's all, We project what we are, right, on other people? It's true. It's true. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We do a bonus episode over there every month. It's always a non-Criterion film of varying quality, sometimes very bad, like uh, the Will Ferrell kicking and screaming. Yeah, sometimes they make your eyes sometimes, bleed, you know. Yeah, sometimes very good, like uh, Louis Malle's uh, God's Country. Um, we, uh, we base that off of a vote. You support us for a dollar a month. You not only get access to that bonus episode, but you get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. And usually I put together that list. Occasionally I, uh, 
I get a list suggestion from one of the other Patreon supporters. Uh, but I put it together and it's always uh, five items, four on a theme, and number five is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie. Near Academy Award winning. Near. Yeah, yeah, near. Near, very near. Um, so if you want to get in on that, patreon.com slash lost in criterion, and it's just a dollar. But for a little extra, for $5 a month, we like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adam Speakerman and to Kevin Little for your continued $5 support. Thank you. And above that, $10 and above, we do something that I, I really think is is awesome. Uh, not that I don't think the rest of it is awesome, but I think this is especially awesome. <laughs> oh, no, we've backed ourselves into um, a corner. Shit. I know, I know. I've, I've been painting the floor. and <laughs> no. uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get it printed up on postcards and then write a little personalized note uh, to supporters at $10 and above. Uh, so you get a little piece of art, original art based on one of the movies, and uh, a little note from me. And one of those is probably interesting to you, if not both. Yeah, so. hopefully hopefully both. Hopefully it's actually worth the, the amount of money it requires, but I, I hope. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad, but, uh, but low-scale printing... Uh, low quantity printing is always more expensive per unit, so it's uh well, and and, and you know, I mean, it's uh, but it's really fun to do. I th- I really I'm glad we oh, yeah, we yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. It's it's exciting. I think. I'm just I'm just saying it would be more cost effective if, if we, we could get like seven hundred pages. Yeah, I, know. yeah. I mean, instead of but think about think about what that would mean on a on a grand scale about. Where we are, if we, I mean, if, that's if we had seven hundred patrons at any level, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to worry about cost effectiveness. Of right, exactly. Ten dollar yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I also like to thank those uh, people on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath for your continued ten dollar and above support. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. So this week we are talking about. Uh, I hesitate to even call it a movie uh, because I it's mean, just. It... It, it is, is. It was recorded on film. There was is a an thing experience. that happened somewhere. It is a happening uh, in yeah, in no, every it for sure. Late sixties yeah. meeting of that word. Um, <laughs> the nineteen sixty eight uh, documentary, experimental documentary, uh, experimental film. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not a documentary either. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> It is. It is, and it isn't it's because it's a it's a documentary of of at least one person acting. <laughs> but, uh, it is symbiopsychotaxoplasm. Uh, uh, the Criterion DVD is specifically Take One, uh, which is the original seventy five minute cut, um, but also contains Take Two and a Half, which is a uh, one hour, 39 minute, I think, uh, cut of, uh, both 68 material and newly shot material released in 2006 and executive produced by Steven Soderbergh and, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi, who also is in it. Uh, looks like he just sort of this... wandered into it and is like, no, nah, I'm involved in this now, guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, all of this conceived by, directed by, uh, Frankly, a shot by starring uh, and yes, like very clearly the, a the genius, very clearly genius William Greaves, uh, who, uh, yeah, just phenomenal 
something. Yeah. Um, and there are just so many questions about what is authentic in this and what is pre-written. And I guess there is still the open possibility, even all these years later, that it's all pre-written. talking about it, that is all scripted. Uh, Here's the problem with that. And I, wa- I want to really get into it. I know you probably want to continue the intro, but I think... Oh, no, by all means, by all means. Um, Dive in. The problem with why we get... This really gets to a fundamental thing. It's true about this podcast, too. Um, The reason why we can't tell if it's pre-scripted or not is the phenomenon of a white dude in a room explaining things to people (laughs) that he thinks he's smarter than always fundamentally sounds in every capacity like a bad actor from high school. That's fair. So That's all fair. the dude, all the, all, that, that fundamental group of people, us included, because this is getting very meta, um, that are sitting around that table in that editing room, all the, the I'm very, very smart white dudes automatically sound like they're acting. Because they are. Yeah. Because that is a performance. It is a, it is a that role is a that they are, they have been educated since birth to fail and some of them are good at it and some of them are bad at it but they mostly are bad at it and they always sound like they're acting you have you've in accurately describing the crew as a bunch of white dudes and there are some women interspaced and there are some yeah but they're uh, not the ones they're not the ones who have not not gone into they're not the ones principally talking immediately off the bat um you bring up something interesting uh, and maybe maybe this is too early to talk about this in our discussion, and maybe it'll come back around and talk more about it. William Greaves is an African-American film director. Uh, started as uh, an actor in sort of underground uh, African uh, cinema. Um, post-war, uh, it gets compared to black exploitation, but it's not really black exploitation because it was really about... Uh, Real lives, um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, also, uh, that level. Of yeah. under, I mean, that yeah. that's that form uh, of underground cinema is not exclusive to the African American community. Right. It also has existed in other right, minority right, 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 communities. Right, right. The like, uh, we have to certainly. express ourselves, yeah. and no one's going to let us if we don't do it ourselves. Basically, right. phenomenon, right? So, yeah. So there is also underlying this an idea of the racial dynamic. This is 1968, right? Right. Um, so, you know, we've got these white guys questioning Greaves and taking upon themselves to record themselves questioning yeah, Greaves, which so is that like, they can passively aggressively. Oh, it's the, uh, it's give the it to him later. Move. It is intensely yeah. asshole. Oh, it's bad. But we don't. We don't. This is not a movie about race overtly. Yeah, well, but yeah. I have to. I have to think the racial dynamic plays there. Oh, it absolutely. I I think. That like probably somewhere deep inside of all of this is Greaves realized very being very very aware of that I'm sure was like I know how to turn the tables on this ridiculousness and presumably I think I I operate on the belief that he set this up like not not like in the prescripted I my my operating perspective and I could be dissuaded of this immediately because I have no fucking clue 
is that he essentially constructed a sociological experiment. Yes. And just figured that this is what something or something, if not this, something interesting would happen if he was just kind of loose and free with the camera and like told them to record shit, even when they're not recording the movie. Right. And, and I mean, it's hard to know how far he, like, you know, how closely it matches his predictions or if he had predictions or if he just wanted to see what would happen. But like very clearly the subjects of the experiment are the people in that room. Right. Like, and, and, I I don't know which ones might be plants or not. It I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff, right? But I don't know fashion. necessarily that anyone are plants, but right. you are right by Greaves' own admission. Uh, in uh, one of the other things featured on the Criterion DVD is an hour long documentary on Greaves' career, uh, and he gets a little bit into it eventually, saying that this is essentially a sociological experiment. Uh, that one part one part. Is, of the inspiration for this is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle and the very basic idea that people act differently when they're being observed, when they know they're being observed. So certainly when there's a camera in their face. So building on that idea, you know, the very structure of this is that we are shooting a screen test for a film that doesn't actually exist. And then there is a documentary crew shooting the shooting of that screen test uh, as a sort of behind-the-scenes thing. And then there's a documentary crew that is shooting that documentary crew as well as whatever else strikes right. their fancy in and around Central Park while they're filming. So uh, we have the character of Greaves within the film insisting that there are uh, that there is a, a sexual uh, theme to what's going on. Uh, but ultimately what we have is a... Man who, if we look at his career, no, is an accomplished actor. He studied at the Actor Studio in New York. Uh, he has been shooting documentary films for years now, critically acclaimed documentary films. Uh, and he has been, and so we know he can direct and can write. Uh, and we know that uh, he is, should be well-respected. So he shows up with a script that is just sub fan fiction. Oh yeah, no, it's total uh, garbage. Well, and like we and we only get a tiny snippet of it. I can't even imagine right. if Yeah. Right. The script is is so utterly amateurish and it is purposefully the script itself is purposefully antagonistic, right? Yeah. Uh, it calls for for using the word cunt as an anatomical term in instead of any other term uh it calls for uh the use of the word faggot just constantly yeah and it is not just product of its time there greaves greaves himself in the documentary uh says that he wrote those words provocatively like that to try and get the actors to revolt too and it turns out the actors know who he is because they're also actor studio actors and the actors respected him too much to actually question it. Which is just amazing, right? Which is just absolutely uh, amazing. Whereas, whereas the crew, who also maybe knows who he is, uh, do revolt. Uh, which is what, what Greaves wants from this experience. He wants, he wants 
everyone to show he shows up and he he you know says you know there's the woman with the tit shoot shoot the the horse girl riding by uh and he's he's overtly uh sexist uh and he's overtly uh antagonistic to he's not he doesn't degrade anyone but he's he's overtly uh incompetent yeah i mean yeah very clearly and and it does go beyond incompetence in the sense that he doesn't he's not he doesn't attack anybody but he does put he does actively make the situation uncomfortable for various facets of the of the production right um various people in the production and it's it's interesting because you could use this movie could function as a study i mean it it already is but i mean like there's a lot of different things that it 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 is a study of because it's sort of it's so free form but on as a study of like the people who were willing to just totally double down on those on that language use while yeah. still also trying to take the the academic and moral high ground is a fascinating person to when exist the, right like when the male actor we've been focusing on starts talking about his motivation and how he should play the character and how he doesn't know if he should be like a faggy fag or if he should be well, yeah, I mean, there's uh, that whole a butch thing. fag or and then they bleep someone because he names he names, names a person yeah he calls somebody a out a person yeah. they both know as as and then he says well I want to play it like closeted fag so you know and, but he just keeps using the word fag even even there and it's it's our is that another scripted moment where Greaves is purposefully, or is this guy really revealing uh, the homophobia inherent to to his position in life right now? Um, well, and then there's when they're all gathered around the circle and they start debating like what's real language, right? And like what's when they right. when all the production people are debating like well what's natural and what's not natural to have said and that sort of stuff. They're right. just they're dropping like they're. It, it it is very revealing because they're willing to use language that is is aggressive and offensive in, while also trying to simultaneously sound like have a conversation wherein they preach their sort of superior ground with regards to their well i mean i don't i'm trying to figure out how to explain this like words i'm not even comfortable saying generally speaking even on our podcast to just right like Words you're not comfortable saying, even in describing another conversation. Exactly, like they're, they're, they're beyond the pale for me. And so, like, right. we get into this situation where it's like these people are are actively using that vocabulary to to prove their their sort of high, presumably highbrow points about the nature of language when those words are by their nature actively aggressive and right. and and, de- and degrading. Right, like it's like. This movie like exists sort of in a cusp of of language, and, and these cusps have happened before. Where like there's a period in history where people are willing to use the N word while also trying to preach the necessity, like while while also trying to preach uh, like equal rights at the same time. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like this happens. Not that uncommon, I think, in in lang- in the crossroads of language and and evolving culture, where it's like we haven't reached the point yet where we're willing to acknowledge that the where we haven't adopted language that 
is also free from the uh, the the sort of um society domination that we're trying to work against you know what i mean like we're, we haven't yet developed the linguistic skills to avoid things that are ag- aggressively, like actively hurtful in talking about the thing that we're trying to fix, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, like, you know, like when you get into it with pronouns now, right? Like, obviously, like patently obviously we should use the pronouns that people prefer to refer to them themselves. But even within the community of people who acknowledge that as a concept, the is often there's often a distinct failure to do so you know what i mean because we haven't reached whatever sort of necessary social linguistic skill to escape from the fact that oh we're we're still broken we can't we're still doing it wrong despite the fact that we want to not do it wrong anymore right i think there's there are certain assumptions we can make about the crew and and everyone involved here uh but they are they are uh White, uh, uh, a, a fairly high percentage of them are white. There, yeah, there are fairly high percentage yeah. white male uh, artists living in New York who have agreed to make a film in 1968 where the director, uh, producer, writer is an African American man. Uh, who so presumably they are, maybe, they, maybe they haven't heard of, which is yeah, yeah, they are, which is all to say that they are well meaning liberals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, but they also in the in the crew conversations, uh, they present overtly sexist and homophobic things that no one no one questions, even the women in the room. And do they not question because uh, they're not in a position where they think to question it, or because they're not comfortable questioning? Well, it yeah, that, that's that a in. really interesting question because there's a yeah. couple. There's a couple. And it could be us just reading into it. Who knows? But there were a couple times where there's like, kind of a look at the camera where I was like, "Oh boy!" Like, yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody needs to, somebody needs to acknowledge to the camera that this is not good. You know what I mean? Like, there's a that, that, that's they're in that situation where it's like, I can't say this out loud, but we all know this is yeah. wrong. Um, yeah, and it could be um, in my head. I don't know, but like, it felt that way a couple times. So yeah, I think I think in all those dynamics there there is an idea in me watching this that if uh if a white director had been in charge of this that the crew oh none of this would have happened wouldn't, wouldn't have gone the way they went. Yeah, I don't think there so. would there might be certain like Jonathan may have quit instead of yeah, instead I, of saying yeah. You keep making me listen to this this utter bullshit dialogue over and over again for eight hours a day, um, and uh, and oh, I can't remember his name the, the the guy with the mustache the the camera operator. I I, I honestly like mustache. this sort of dynamic story. Like I yeah I know a single person's name. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I only know thing, I, know I only know Jonathan's name because he comes back for take two. Right, and and I. <laughs> right. I he annoyed me enough in take one that I actively started to yeah. block him out as a human being. I was like, yeah, he's around. He's, he's there. Um, so there's, there's also the interesting things about what's interesting in take two is obviously it's all people who have seen take one. And that's one thing Jonathan talks about in the, in the crew moments in take, take two and a half 
is that you know it can't be what it was in take one because we already have the knowledge base to know what what it should be which adds another layer of acting to it but at the same time in take two and a half greaves is still acting and he's still messing with people he's still acting as as the director of Symbiopsychotaxoplasm as his character, the director of Symbiopsychotaxoplasm. Like there's a moment, there's a moment where he's talking with, uh, uh, Buscemi and I can't, you know, I don't know if Buscemi's just trying to improv something or if it's something, an idea that Buscemi's actually talking about, but they start talking about the conversation, the, the over the cliff or whatever, the actual film within the, the, the fictional film that is supposed to be screen testing for where they start talking about that as purposely being a metaphor for the Vietnam war. Uh, and like one that was never mentioned in the first movie. Yes. Right. In any of the medica narrative. Uh, so it's him presenting a new idea and it's him saying, yeah, that's definitely what it was about. And you know, when a director like Greaves doing what he's doing says, anything finite that is definitely him acting right, right? absolutely yeah, like, yeah like in the first one when he says i represent the establishment right he is when he's telegraphing themes it is it is misdirection it is not actual direction right uh and uh and i love i do love when he says i represent the establishment because uh you know one of the one of the crew members responds that he doesn't understand what that means and uh and Greaves says it doesn't matter whether or not you understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it's, it's, it's such a good right. line and, and one it's such a good line but also it's very true to what greaves is trying to do it doesn't matter and it, it's the most it's one of the most dismissive points he he has with the crew but everything greaves is doing is part of this experiment he's trying to trying to do to make people react to him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's honestly almost surprising that it doesn't get overtly racist in the crew's criticisms of him. Uh, and maybe maybe there's some points in the 55 hours of material that it did. It, it, it and, might have. And he just cut just it. The other he, thing about it is keep in mind is they're that. aware that he's going to see it. Like they're, they're planting right. this right, 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 in right, the right. thing he's going to get. And it's clear that they are well-meaning people. Right. At their heart, they don't want... They're not... Right. And they and they do frequently say, no, I'm not attacking him as a director. I'm just attacking this piece as an art piece. And, right. You know, yeah. They, they're whatever. trying to... They're really trying to straddle that line. And it's fascinating. Yeah. But then again, you get into the thing that we've talked about and Greaves talks about. And would this have ever happened? Well, I mean... There is obviously some sort of racial component to the whole thing, right? There just has to. Oh, be. there's definitely. And 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 that's I think that's fascinating as a, as an idea that you he really it is fascinating that you can that it's even possible to create a scenario where you can possibly generate pure un unfiltered human interaction. To a certain extent, like it's definitely creating it's it's still it's in a context, right? Like it's it's still got a, a bias because he's actively generating it, right? So it does have a bias, right. but it is fascinating because 
it's probably one of the closest things to an actual documentary that we've ever seen. Right? And at the same time, it is purposefully about observation. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but it, but it, 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 it straddles that line in such a fascinating way of, like, by using, like, the meta context of it to, to almost almost break through to the other side. Right. Right. Like, it, it's fascinating. It is, this is... I, I can definitively say this is one of the most interesting films we've ever watched. Oh, period. absolutely. Like, yeah. I was not expecting it necessarily to be because I couldn't understand. Like, every description of this film that I ever oh, yeah. saw before I rolled in, written down, was, like, just reading gibberish. Like, the, <laughs> right? Amazon, dis- right? like the Amazon description of it, the Criterion Channel description of it, sounds like it was written by a person who got hit hard in the head right before they were asked to write it. <laughs> It doesn't right. make any fucking sense. And I understand why now that I've watched it. That, like, I couldn't. I couldn't either. If you asked me right. to write a description of this film, I'd just kind of tell you to fuck off and I would leave. Because, like, <laughs> right. no. Right. I mean, I can't. I couldn't. I can't. I won't. Right. Um, but it is it is amazing. It is legitimately yeah. just absolutely amazing. Um, I think Take Two and a Half is also amazing, but in a different way. It, like, it creates a new meta level, which is if people... What happens to that me- to that that conversation when you tell people they're actively being observed, but they right. also but a, but that's the actual the game. You kind of get into almost like MTV well, real world, well, the, like that those kind of yes. Things. But the difference being that like they all know not like you know those things are designed around everybody on those kind of those old si- style reality shows know they're being observed. But there's certain expectations set by the by the medium about what they their behavior, whereas this one has t- radically different set expectations because right. everybody's trying to essentially generate take one again, which creates a new meta level of them everybody trying right. to kind of right. recreate this thing. Yeah, there there are rules for take two and a half, right? They're unspoken rules, and everybody, but everybody says, knows no, them, there, right? there shouldn't they, be any rules. But everybody knows that there's rules, right? Which is and a whole other fascinating level, right? Like if you if you create yeah. the rules, but they're all unspoken, right? Like what happens then, too, right? Yeah, there's another there's another layer of the observation that I haven't even really mentioned: the fact that they're shooting this in public. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and obviously that plays into the film. You know, we frequently we frequently get people interrupting the production. Like the, <laughs> right. the original film ends with with a drunk man wandering onto the set, an amazing drunk man, like the most minutes. amazing drunk man. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, but you know, you get earlier with the with the woman uh, coming out and saying, "Oh, I'll be your next star," um, and you get uh, you get the guy in take two and a half coming up to to thank. Steve Buscemi for his for his yeah, great works. Yeah. It's, there's um, so much good stuff. Like one, and Grease actively, I think, fascinatingly enough, actively tries to antagonize the um, the surrounding people too. Right? Oh yeah. Like yeah. the way he treats them is so at sometimes so right dismissive and kind of it's like right. oh he wants them. Like, to, he's like we got he's not as we're making as this movie and you need to yeah we're but, making this movie and you need to respect that so so get out of our way uh but also the fact that what he's written in the hopes that the actors will react negatively to it is being performed by those actors publicly right right so that is antagonistic to anyone who might be observing uh and 
and at the same time, the the idea that they are being observed performing this dialogue, uh, maybe they're too professional to do this, but Greaves may be expecting that they they have some amount of embarrassment, right? Of and performing I, and this I think dialogue it does show. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're trying very hard not and to, certainly, but certainly the crew, show. the crew has some amount of embarrassment that they are actively involved in a public place with something like this. Uh, and then the the documentary crew, documenting the documentary crew, has to know that they are inherently in an absurd position. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's so good. And though. since they are being encouraged to film things randomly around the park, they are also uh, putting themselves, they're being put into a position where, uh, where they're being antagonistic to. Just random people, yeah, goers. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and it is actually fascinating to me that there are not more direct confrontations with the public <laughs> right. in this movie. Right. I am shocked, yeah. actually, because it's like it, the movie is actively aggressive towards the public around it. And, right. and, and it very rarely turns into a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but again, that's part of part of the premise Part of Greaves' premise is that, you know, people act when there's cameras around. So the act of of there being, the idea that there are cameras keep people to a certain level of behavior. Right, keeps people from getting pissed and just, like, running them off or something like that, I suppose. Right, right? yeah. Though you also think it's New York, you know, you're probably, there's there's that video in the last few days. Yeah, you know, we exist in a world where everyone's got a camera in the pocket, or at least ninety nine percent of the population has a camera in the pocket that can immediately uh, generate a video that can be seen around the world by anyone else right. with one of these cameras right. in their yeah. pocket, and people still act like assholes. Well, but so, I think that's you know, I think that's not... actually a fundamentally different thing because uh, I think there's probably two points that are at work. Number one, his cameras are patently obvious. They exist right, in right, a space right. where they are clear and obvious. And they exist, everybody and they exist in a time where everyone knows those are cameras. And like, and, and to be on their yeah. best behavior around them, essentially, right? Right. Um, right. Whereas the things that we carry around in our pockets, A, are, are both ubiquitous and, and not as obvious. And also, so you get into this situation where people, these cameras have the potential to reveal what people do when there aren't, air quotes, aren't cameras around. But also have simultaneously de- desensitized people to the presence of them by being so hyper ubiquitous, right? Because because you only, I don't think people don't process them as cameras at all times, right? Like you know what I mean. You process them as a you, like it's such a weirdly contextual device that it's that it, what it is changes based on the scenario, and then. I'm sure that those people that we've rev- that are constantly revealed as being assholes realize that those are cameras at some point, right? But it's right. too late, and and especially <laughs> within the context of the type of people you and I are, Adam, which is white men, <laughs> we are taught from a very young age that once you've committed to being an asshole. You just gotta go. You just gotta go. There's no pulling out. There's never. We're never. We're taught to never say sorry. And part of never saying sorry is you're once you once you're an asshole, you you commit to it. Because I, maybe you can come out the other side true, by being. Yes. Well, if you, you know what I mean, though, right? Like if you look at it, like at some point they look and they see like, oh, that shit, I'm being recorded, and That's... and 
and you would think that your net result of that would be like, oh, I, I just now it's time to bail. The just cut the only thing worse. The only thing worse than being an asshole is being a flip flopper. Yes, so you have exactly, to. exactly. And so you get this thing where it's like, and like I mean, it, it happens in private too. It's not, it's not like an exclusively on camera yeah. thing, right? Like, right. I the number of times I've had an argument where at some point I realized I was just wrong. Yeah, and then was <laughs> too, too ashamed deep. to so, like yeah. bail out. And then I, I've been it's a thing I've been working on a lot my yeah. in like the last ten years it's like okay you can just bail out you can just be like you know what you're right I'm sorry I'm an asshole uh, but that's that's a hard thing we're not taught that oh absolutely and and and, and so you know there's a lot of things that work here and uh, there's a documentary in that I'm sure it probably already exists frankly <laughs> uh, I, probably more than one uh, but yeah yeah. Oh, speaking of more than one, uh, 55 hours of material originally shot for this. Uh, and uh, uh, Greaves originally planned to release five different versions of the oh, first That film. would have been amazing, though. Um, possibly before anyone... Obviously, with the, with the original material, you've got, you've got five versions where no one knows. Uh, no, one, no one within the production knows what they're being used for, right? Um, so you don't have the same problem as take two and a half, right? Uh, because you don't, you're not filming more material after one of them's already come out. Um, I think probably even if they like focused on a different set of actors in each, in each, and it seems like what exists as take two, which is the first half hour of take two and a half, um, is a showing of take two. Right. Um, uh, it seems like maybe they were going to focus on a different set of actors with each with each uh, set, um, which is take. Uh, so I think still I would just by the time number five rolls around, I would just be so tired of hearing that conversation, oh, no I matter know. how well. well I, and, and, then, I, and then does it become a weird sort of observation on their audience right like how long and right. how much of this garbage can an audience take right. uh, is a whole nother thing right yeah um i do think that out of everyone we saw uh playing um alice and freddie uh shannon baker and audrey henningham the uh couple who come back for take two and a half uh were the best ones. <laughs> I particularly, particularly Henningham, Henningham is uh, as a phenomenal actress uh, in her use of that material uh, because it is not good material, no, and she yeah. almost makes it compelling. So, um, at least more compelling than anyone else. Was I, I don't know. Um, I could have gone for with, a whole take of the singing. I'm sure because you could well, no, partially just because did you. It's fascinating because we don't get it for a very long time, but how visibly agitated everyone was yeah. by the singing one. Like, why are yes. they like everybody's just really been agitated? Like, why are they singing? What's going <laughs> on here? Why? Why are we doing this? Uh, I, I think maybe I almost to the point imagine. that one may have not made the cut as much because it it pushed the the experiment too far. Like, right. pushed them to active anger based rebellion. Like. I don't know because that is that is something that that Greaves had to have told her to do. Oh, absolutely. The actress did not just show up and say, "Oh, I'm going to sing all these lines." And, <laughs> uh, but I also think in two and a half, 
to sort of try to introduce that same element without doing just rehashing the same thing. I think that's why the psychodramatist shows up in yeah. Act Two and a Half. Marsha Carp is obviously the... playing much more overt a character than and, uh, and, and I and I think that else. element is part of like take two and a half is is fine. But yeah. it is it isn't I just don't nearly like it as much, partially because that seems to almost get into Borat levels. Yeah. Which I find yeah, I get that. upset. Like that's not what one was. And two feels especially at the end like that. And I'm I'm not as comfortable with that. Um it, it, and I understand where it came from and I understand why you need to essentially up the ante to make it yeah. work. Otherwise people are going to start they're, they're going to just ignore because they already know the stakes. Uh, but I, th- it was that was just like ugh. I, I right. didn't find that pleasurable to watch at all, and not because people is, are humiliating themselves, but it feels like acting. That is one interesting thing about Take Two and a Half to me is that Layer Four still exists in the same manner that it exists in Take One. The public interacting with this film as it's being shot is still is is the only thing. That is still as true. Is absolutely as yeah, still essentially pure, right? Take because, one. Yeah, they yeah. don't know what's going on. They don't, not not on the level that the crew or anybody else does. I mean, I I think level take two and a half level, I, I the crew level is interesting because now there is a set expectation that they will do this thing. Yeah, and so it turns into a discussion of we get into a fascinating discussion about rather than like them trying to figure out what's in Greaves' head. Them trying to figure out what they ought to say, <laughs> right? In right. this, in this, in, which is which is fascinating by itself, right? Like if that you is, just tell that is for yeah. me as a teacher, it's fascinating because like it's it reminds me of what happens when you put your students into groups and you say, okay, now to discuss, and they're right. like, and the first and that's set the only time is like, the only the direction f- they give you, right? Is and it's just like well, the, the, so a certain percentage of time is just spent like discuss what, like what do you fucking yeah. want us to talk about? Just tell us, damn it. And then there's a lot of time spent sorting out what that means. And then, you know, they do eventually, right? And, and in this, in the in that level of the sort of, in that meta level in this one, they do figure it out. It's just a different experiment. It's just, it just is. And it's fascinating because they know the expectations. So their response to that level of experiment is to assume that this is still level two from take one. Like, yeah. oh, we ought to have a conversation about this production when that's that's just an expectation they've set for themselves because no one told them they had to have a conversation about the production, right? Right. It was generated by their presu- what they presume based on their previous experiences and what they've seen, right? It's just right. that that is fascinating because it it is it generates a sort of branching meta level at two where they're doing a thing that is opposite of what's being observed. Not opposite, but right. not the same as what's being observed. Right. Right. And and the fact that, you know, in Jonathan's introduction to the crew portions of Take Two and a Half, he makes it more explicit that this is a thing that Greaves has asked him to head up. Right. right? So it's not it's not happening organically in any manner. It's not a new crew putting being put under the same conditions. Um 
And you know, you're, you've got you've got the problem of finding a new crew who's wholly unfamiliar with with the first, but that is that probably not an impossible <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, it's like I had never heard of this movie until we started thing, right? watching it. Yeah, like yeah, they may, they might be a bit amateurish, but you could definitely find yeah. them. So, uh, and it's still 2006, so there's no one like googling, um, you know. Right, yeah. Grieves to figure out what's going. Is this guy really insane? Why don't we just <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Up? Like we should check his uh, Facebook page and make sure he's not a. Yeah. Make sure we're not yeah. going to all get murdered later. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so you know, theoretically, he could have created something. I think it probably would have been pretty dead getaway with Steve Buscemi's on one of the cameras. <laughs> but, but like, uh, but that's not. But then again, that's a whole different ex- experiment, right? Right. If like. Right. I mean, the, the fascinating thing about social experiments is like you, there's infinite variety available to you, right? Like, what does a what does a social experiment look like when what if all the camera people and all the production people are super famous famous actresses and actors, <laughs> but like, but the actors are like nobodies and like who knows, right? Like, it, there's a whole bunch of fun social experiments that exist that presumably yeah. some of them have done and some of them haven't been done. Yeah. But I. This is something I enjoy just spending time, yeah. like w- weird cycle or weird errant mental cycles thinking about, especially after we watched this movie, was like, yeah. what other crazy ass experiments could you conduct under the pretense that you're making a movie? It's just a fascinating thing to think about. And you can you can waste a lot of time on that. Like, boy, I tell oh, you. Oh, yeah. You can waste a lot of other people's time on that. Too. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not um, going to talk about them all in the, all the scenarios in our podcast. I'm just saying, no, I'm I just, want to get it out what there. I'm that saying I've spent a lot of time over the last two days thinking pretty much nonstop about what possible social experiments exist. Boy, it's a lot. You are very, you are very close in the action, and and symbiopsycho taxoplasm is very close in its action to something like Punked or or yeah. any modern prank show. Uh, and this idea that, you know, it, it does do it meta because the it's not a hidden camera show, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, um, people are pointing the camera at themselves, right? But so right. Do, so do most very modern different, uh, reality shows, right? Where people actively right. present right. themselves in front of the camera. Uh, the, what, what makes this interesting is because there is still a, uh, a presumed meta context. Like, there's still a, presumably a movie being made, right? Right. And, and I think what... That that is an important separation that exists between a lot of that that and a lot of punk shows and reality shows is that like, well, that's it. Gener- it, it, it does generate a different effect, right? Than than haha. One thing, you. one thing that it does have in common with with prank shows of of the entire history, of, you know, back to Candid Camera, is its use of authority. Oh, absolutely, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and that you you assume that what's happening to you is on the level, um, and that this authority figure deserves to have the authority. What, what's and, fascinating about and it what is, grieves, is what, go what, ahead. Sorry, what Greaves is trying to do is to push it well enough that the seams start to show, and that that uh, people start to question his authority, and you know by by sheer luck that worked. Because but I, but I'm the, not crew, sure that it is. the crew presented the end. <laughs> the crew presented at the end of take one. The crew presents him with with hours of material that they've shot of themselves. Right. Right. And and I think I think you know Greaves maybe didn't expect that exactly to happen. Right. But I right. don't think he was way off kilter thinking that like if you have that many cameras rolling all the time, 
You're going to catch yeah. people showing that they're not happy about what's happening, right? Like that they're that they think is something is wrong, right? And like, and that, and I think sh- pushing himself to the point where the seam show is what ob- obviously right. makes it fundamentally different than most of what we ex- have experienced along these lines in the past, right? Because most punk shows and things like that, uh, they they kind of have a pretense that that's what they're going to do, right? Like there's like, oh, we're gonna put this create this ridiculous situation that no one would ever believe, and then we're gonna watch these people believe based on authority. But but the very rarely in those environments do the authority figures themselves give away the fact that they are not on the level, right? right? That there's something now, wrong with them. Now Greaves does try to push for that level of things too. I, I I think particularly of the instance. I think I think it's documented in Take Two and a Half, maybe not the original. Uh, but there's one scene where uh, one of the photo- one of the cameramen, uh, like, kind of refuses to shoot a scene because because Greaves steps in and says, "Oh, you're." The documentary crew's camera is looking directly into the camera of the guy shooting the conversation. So the guy shooting the conversation needs to move. Right, right, right yeah. And that's, that's, Greaves, that's Greaves rationing things up. Because, because if, if he were reasonably trying to do what he is saying he's trying to do, then the documentary camera guy is the one who needs well, to that, move. But there that, shouldn't but be that, any question that, about it. That's so. what I mean is that... Um, what I mean is, is like... In in most of those sort of punk sort of shows, in order to accomplish what they want, which is to make dumb people do dumb things, the authority yeah. figure that makes them do it has to remain a, an authority figure. Whereas right. Greaves actively tries to undermine his own authority, like right by making by, himself by presenting seem super as, incompetent, as this friendly he, incompetent guy. Right, yeah. he is actively working to undermine his authority so that they'll do things like mouth off to the camera and 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 that sort of stuff when he's not around like you know what i mean like he's actively trying to generate that and that's a different effect than what a punk show is trying to do right because like or right. something like that is actively saying like no i'm an authority figure and you're going to do what i tell you to do and and i'm going to present myself in such a way that you're not going to question whether or not i'm a real authority figure whereas like he's I mean, he's doing such a phenomenal job of acting that he just, it's, right. he's so, like, it's amazing, actually. When you think about who's doing the most work in this movie. Yeah. Like, it's him by just leaps and bounds, right? Like, I, I, I kind of can't imagine how stressful the making of that, of this was for him. For Greaves himself. Yes, yeah. because, like, the amount of not being himself he has to do to get this to work is kind of insane right yeah he can literally can never turn it off in order to get this to work right because if he if he ever turns it off right the whole thing will collapse right it's a house of cards in that way right like if he, and that's if he, and he that's another instance day, it's over that's another instance where take two and a half fails uh is that we presumably have experienced and the people involved have experienced Greaves being turned off uh, and his, his, uh, you know, the way take one came to prominence in 92 was that it was the flagship of a, of a Greaves retrospective. So uh, everyone, everyone who saw it that time saw the majority of his other films too. Right. Right. So, 
even if they just started with take one, by the time you finish watching the rest of the well, this guy knows how to you act, know, right? Yeah, yeah. You know that this guy knows how to act and this guy knows how to write and this guy knows how to direct and right. he knows how to make good decisions about films. So obviously this thing where he has shown actively making bad decisions about films is him doing something else. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's interesting because like we, as the audience, when we're watching even take one, just on its own eventually get there right it takes longer right. because you're not explicitly told that right but eventually yeah. we as an audience eventually we we get to the point where we're oh this is an act like he's doing right. an act um and that's a fascinating experience and i'm actually glad that i don't i wasn't familiar with greaves's work which does Prior. seem phenomenal yeah. it, i'm just glad i didn't have it because it makes this a wild ass ride Right, right. Where you, as an audience member, realize essentially, eventually get dramatic irony on the care uh, the people in the film. Yeah. Well, like, but over a very slow burn, right? Where you're like, oh, this is this is not real. He's not being real here. Uh, you know, the, when we started this conversation, we suggested that the the crew just didn't know who he was and didn't have the respect. But I think it's even more more off putting if you were a crew member if you knew Greaves' work. Yeah, if you yeah. knew what this guy should and, and, be, and able it's to potential. Do. It, there's a potential that that is true. There, yeah. there. We, we, we don't. You know, I think it is quite possible that some of the people in the crew, if not all, knew who they were working for and were sh- were basically responding actually to the fact that they were shocked that he was this yeah. bad at this, and perhaps excited about who they were working. Yeah, for. like came into this and be like, "Oh, we're gonna work with this person," and then you get on set and it's just like, "This is." terrible yeah. this person is not good at this how did this happen you know what i mean like that's a whole other thing right like and i think some of it is that um i'm not sure that applies to all the people in the, because right the conversations don't imply that about everybody um yeah so i don't i don't, it's it, boy like this movie is just fundamentally escapes dissection like you can take it like you can peck it little right. p- piece of it but but the web it creates right. like if you pull on one thread, you're going to end up pulling on a bunch of other stuff. But that's, it's, oh, it's amazing. All of this conversation is adding to that web, too. Right? Absolutely. It's, yeah. it, we it are is truly amazing. The, the nature of us commenting on this film is now part of the yeah, film. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and you know, we watched, you know, you watch that documentary. Uh, I, I didn't get very far in it, but like um, the person, the film critic talking about it and like, at the beginning is a whole other thing, right? Because he's got his approach to it that seems pretty different than what you and I ended up taking. Right, 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 it's, right. Oh, it's it's amazing. I just, boy, I can't. Yeah, I this movie. Honestly, what I did realize though, as a as a a thought process, I started having while I was watching the movie, which I, I is something I'm thinking about is this movie in some weird way proves to me that. Like, art education should be a mandatory subject <laughs> in, in in school. Like on, a, on and not just like art as in like you know what we did in high, in elementary school, right? Where you like look at right. paintings and we talk about them, which is good. It's a good thing to do. But like art theory and like because you could when you start thinking like when you start having people actively analyze a piece of art and trying to understand what's trying to be communicated there and then also trying to 
dissect why they believe that's true about that thing. I, I I'm saying that like basically in in the documentary agrees. They talk about um, the idea that documentary can can actively change the world. Yeah, yeah. I think making every American high school student watch this movie would actively change the world. Yeah, I mean, and very um, seriously. Well, it's 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 interesting too because they um, they frame you know Greaves coming up in making very important documentaries at a time where people weren't making important documentaries necessarily where documentaries still weren't taken seriously. Uh, you know, and we're going to talk about, uh, next week, we'll talk about the Beals of Grey Gardens, the, the return to Grey Gardens. Okay. I did not know that was what was next. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the Maisley, the Maisley brothers are, are working at this time. Right. And, uh, the original, the original Grey Gardens came out in '76, so we're 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 just on the cusp of this starting to happen. When did Salesman come out? That was their first, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember um, though. Yeah, Salesman came out '68, same year as this was shot. Um, so you get we're starting to, but but also you know as we talked about with the Maisels and as we talked about with any documentary we've watched so far. There's this, every documentary we've talked about, we've talked about the definition of documentary and, and we've talked about observation and influence, right? Right. And, you know, that's something we definitely talked about when we talked about Great Gardens because the, the Maisel brothers are actively on the camera. Yeah. And we, and we, 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 yeah, we we spent a lot of time on the fact that they actively influenced the the flow of events right. in their documentary, which is right. kind of you know a no-no, right? Right. So, so Greaves is also very, very early on in that style of documentary filmmaking before it's even really codified. Right, but he Greaves but is already it's even saying, codified, no, it's all a lie. Bl- yeah, like before <laughs> it's even codified, though, he takes it a step further than that, right? Like it's it's like. Yeah. Imagine if the riff on the genre existed before, like before the genre existed, is a is a wild thing to imagine, right? Like, right. Essentially, like obviously, documentary existed, you know, right, right way right, before right. this. But like that sort of hand on the tiller documentary making is in its infancy, and he's already doing a riff on it where he pushes it to the next boundary beyond that where he's like no my hand's going to be so far on the tiller that my actual desire of what i want to learn is people's response to my hand being so hard on the tiller right yeah is a yeah it's just interesting that like that that alone is enough to warrant the definition genius right i don't that's wild i can't yeah um is it from these roots no in the in the hour documentary, they talk about uh, one of uh, one of Reeves' other works. Um, I can't I can't remember. Well, they the talk title about a bunch of them, right? And that, they, that's do, kind they, of they do. They do. But one is, it's, it's, there's a lot of. But them. one in, one in particular that I think is really fun, interesting in in what they say about it and bringing it up is uh, one he did on a Pan African conference where the U.S. government actually sent him 
to shoot like a five minute newsreel thing. Oh, really? I didn't. This, I didn't get that far. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. With a, uh, and it was like it was like Pan African culture, and it had African Americans. Langston Hughes was there. Uh, I think Muhammad Ali was there, if I remember correctly. Uh, maybe misremembering them talking about Ali at eh, Ali at a different point. Um, and uh, and he's there with like didn't just him. Like he's just doing a like he didn't even have a sound guy. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like his driver acted as a sound guy. Uh, but uh, but they wanted him to shoot five minutes for a news report on this. And he got there, and like the Russians were there with a crew of twenty, right? So he just started shooting so much more, and like guerrilla style, popping into their lighting, and, and <laughs> right, like, right. letting I'm, letting I'm, the I'm Russians set everything. I'm frankly surprised that the answer to that was not he was not he decided to shoot a documentary of the Russians making a movie. Uh, <laughs> I wish frankly. I wish that had happened, but um, <laughs> he maybe kind of did that too. Uh, but yeah, um, so he does. It's just so much work, even prior to this, and so much of what he did. Like directly prior to this, he made a documentary called "Still a Brother" inside the Negro middle class, which is such a frank look at uh, kind of the end results. Not even the end results, but the current stance of the entire idea of uplift persuasion, and that uh, that uh, you know a, a certain section of of black folks who thought they would be accepted if they did well enough financially right. by white culture, and they really weren't. And then built on top of that is the idea that if enough enough uh, African Americans make it into the middle class, then African Americans in general will no longer be seen as whatever racist stereotypes they're seen as. Uh, and that has never worked. Um, and they're, you know, they're really having a frank conversation about that. You know, it's, it's still, it, you know, it's obviously called still a brother. So it's about, you know, we're still, we're still African Americans, but also it's the still a brother also suggests the, we're still viewed as, as we are like anyone else, uh, any other African American in America, um, and you know, in the interviews with Greaves uh, on the Criterion DVD, he talks about how the the end of that movie, uh, you know, it's he's talking to uh, middle class African Americans who say, you know, it really wasn't worth it. You know, we we made sacrifices to try and get into this culture, and it we should not have done that. Yeah, and I'm sure there there are obviously plenty of. That is not a singular perspective, right? There, right. there, there's a a plethora of opinions on on whether or not it's worth it and what the end results are. Uh, but the uh, the very obviously end results that are that uh, as a uh, as a group, uh, middle class African Americans have not made the lives of all African Americans better. Uh, which is, uh, yeah. Anyway, history um, and right. current events. Uh, but yeah, I was going to say yeah, uh, today. So, you mean today? Is <laughs> today? So, but but I bring that all up. What I mean to say is that he did a lot of African American centric entertainment, and then he did a lot of African American centric uh, uh, 
documentary, and he ended up as the executive producer for uh, for an African American series uh, on PBS. Um, I'm not sure on PBS, but on a on a public broadcasting okay. called Black Journal, um, which was a bunch of well-meaning white liberals saying, "Oh, we need to have this uh, this uh, black-oriented." Uh, cultural news mag news show news magazine show, um, and this was you know, this is this started like after after this movie actually uh, after Symbiopsychoplasm, um, but uh, but it was still being produced by white people, right? And like someone noticed, and, and like the crew walked out, and and most people were on their side. Like if you're going to make an African American oriented show, why? Why are why is the pot power hierarchy still white? Um, which is the conversation that was frequently happening in all all realms then, and still needs to happen. Um, why is the power hierarchy still white if we're right. if we're talking about something equality wise? Um, so, uh, uh, Greaves actually ended up as the executive producer of the show uh, out of the restructuring that happened after that criticism was. Uh, was taken positively, you know. They reacted. They didn't react by canceling the show. Right, they reacted by actually making good. the changes. Yeah. Right, but but again, that is after after this. You know, still a brother is the same time as this, and he'd done other documentaries in Canada. He actually went to Canada because it was easier for an African American to get a job uh, in this sort of production in Canada. Um, I mean, that's the same reason that so many. African American intellectuals uh, and writers throughout the forties, fifties, sixties went to Paris you know, and lived right. in Europe. You know, because it didn't have the racial baggage. Um, it's different in Europe and different. Yeah, in it's different. It's not yeah, that I mean, it doesn't yeah, it does, exist. Not, not that it doesn't <laughs> exist. It's just different, and it's and it's fundamentally different enough that yeah. it means that if you're used to the American version of racial baggage, it could probably feel like right, very relief. freeing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. sure eventually, you know, you would get jaded of, of the European version of it too, right? Eventually, but it's got you know, everybody needs a break, right? Right, right. But yeah, uh, it's just oh, goodness. We could yeah. talk in more circles than this. <laughs> no, yeah, this, I think this. this Unfortunately, the downside of this movie is it, it. We've encountered this a few times before. This one, we could talk about it forever if we so right. chose, right? Right. Like, if we really it's wanted to, infinite, like because the loop goes on forever. So, yeah, we could drown ourselves in this movie if we want. Like, and I, I'd be okay with it, but like you know, at some point we had to call it right and say, "Well, right. we've said what we're going to say about it." Right. And I think it's uh, it's about time to call it and say we've said what we're going to say about it. Uh, definitely recommend at least watching Take One. It's just incredibly fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it it yeah. really is. And clearly, you know, Greaves. I don't want to downplay the the crew at all because even Greaves says you know these are reasonably intelligent people, 
uh, and what what happened? What I wanted to do was was see what happens when I act like a jerk or I act like right, an right, exactly, yeah. in front of reasonably intelligent people. Um, so, you know, they they are a bunch of uh, predominantly white guys having a conversation about the nature of art and and the relationship. Well, and we of, all know how uh, that goes. I mean, you, our, you and I and, both went to college, and, of course, and we know how that works, right? right? Like, and we've had those conversations, and and of course, you know, that's exactly what the meta conversation is supposed to be too right right so, absolutely you know or one aspect of the meta conversation it goes well. on for it is literally turtles all the way down right 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 and we're just one of them we're just a turtle in the turtle in like the yeah in the stack right so right we're we're just turtles but it's always nice to see a turtle yeah no yeah i'm not gonna complain about turtle yeah uh yeah. So this week we have been talking about Symbiopsychotaxoplasm. Oh, by the way, the title, uh, Symbiotaxoplasm, uh, is, uh, it was a psychologist's idea on the relationship. Oh, uh, Arthur F. Bentley is the name of the guy. Um, Inquiry into Inquiries, um, is, uh, is his book. Um, and, uh, Wikipedia quotes Reeves' interpretation of what Bentley was trying to say. Those events that transpire in the course of anyone's life that have an impact on the consciousness and the psyche of the average human being and how that human being also controls or affects changes or has an impact on the environment. Which is to say, symbiotaxoplasm is just recognizing that uh, what you do has results and consequences for everyone else and not just and everything else right for um, you and everybody else and it's not yeah. it's not just not not necessarily in, in like a chaos theory way but just recognizing that uh yeah kind of in a chaos theory sort of way too right, right. Uh, you know everything you do has uh has inevitable consequences on the things around you uh and then Greaves says he threw psycho in there uh just to make the word more complicated and because he's a silly man sometimes um, which is great too. Just wanted to make it more complicated, so he threw it. It's a good uh, reason to do a thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Greaves is great. Yeah, uh, I am absolutely. I am not surprised, uh, but still disappointed that we will not see anything else from Greaves. In the collection, yeah, it's one of those um, those uh, very unsurprising disappointments, right? That yeah, we experience on yeah. this show sometimes. I mean, predominantly everything else he did was short documentary, so you know, like I guess we could have a disc three on the on the uh, uh, box set here that we're we've got going. That's just a collection of his of his documentaries, but still, uh, it would have been a lot of material on one disc. But yeah, I would have been, been disappointed by been, it. God, it would have been it would have been hard to talk about, but I wouldn't have been disappointed by it. Um, but yeah, uh, as I already said, next week we will be moving on to uh, Albert Maisley's uh, "The Grays of the." Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's Albert okay. and David Maisley's return to Grey Gardens with the Beals of Grey Garden from uh, nineteen. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, two thousand six. Rather, I thought they made it in nineteen ninety nine for a second, but it's two thousand six. Uh, so. Yeah, where they go back and create a part two, 30 years on, to uh, to an original. Um, so that'll be probably a lot of the same conversation yeah, in a different, we're gonna, slightly we're di- different light. Yeah, definitely got a theme going. Yeah. 
Uh, but still look forward to that. Uh, so yeah, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Vietnam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.